0: with your hosts, Dan and
1: James. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, it's
0: not funny. Oh uh, well, I'm angry, uh, that's right. <laughs> it's early,
1: I'm well, naked, and afraid. It's welcome to Grog Talk, the Angry Edition.
0: <laughs> the Angry Gnome. It's the angry dwarf. I'm the angry gnome.
1: Oh, uh, he is. That's what they're saying. That's what uh that's what Vic was saying. Ooh, angry gnome. Oh goody. We're all we're all they're all looking forward to it. So well, we are on Welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm the angry gnome, Dan. <laughs> well, where are we from today, Dan? Okay,
0: well listen. All right. I'm gonna try to get in a better mood here, right?
1: That's right.
0: So so and look how I look. I look ridiculous now. I'm all like, you know. Okay.
1: You don't, you don't, so you don't, you don't look as ridiculous that way. I've I've zoomed you in, so they just see your face. So you okay. oh,
0: great. Thank you. I was thinking about this. We were on what was it? What level of the abyss were we on? The I don't Grand know. Fourth Central,
1: something. They, we're on the fourth. This is the fifth.
0: Exactly. So if we're in the Grand Central station of the abyss, mm-hmm. don't you and we're and, and we've just killed Garl Gar. Mm-hmm. Glitter gold. Yep. Don't you think that, and so we're in the Blood River. Yep. Don't you think that we would sort of float into a random portal or gate? I don't know the difference, right? Yeah. You said it's like Grand Central. So what I recommend is that we roll a D10 three times, ignoring any rolls of seven or higher. Okay. Zero counting is lower here, and that's the plane we go to. Does this make sense to you? Uh, as much as anything else, we do.
1: Well, why don't we roll three sixes? And well,
0: I know I love that pure. I love the zero look. We you could do that. Well, because we need a zero, don't
1: well, we? Well, but then you roll. Why would we need a zero? Well, because it could
0: be. I love. It could be forty-two. Oh. It could be three hundred
1: four. Well, we could don't roll you? a D six and then a D ten for the hundreds and the tens. So,
0: where I've gotten lost. That sounds good. All right. Let's, as long, or you could.
1: Get out your D666. <laughs> My D666. You would have to use a computer for that. So, all right. So.
0: Oh, no, no, no. That doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. So uh, here, here's what we'll do. We'll do a D6 for the first, for the, for the hundreds. The rest of them, uh, and, and for the tens, the other ones will just do things. So for, like, for instance, we're on the 200th and 215th layer of the abyss. All right. I like it. It's simple.
0: It It is. It's simple and it works. All right. So, uh, hang on. Where the heck are we? Hang
1: Dude, on. I don't think they have a name for the 215th.
0: Oh, you're probably right. Ah, oh, well, that's no fun. Yeah, I do the point of all. You that? would
1: think someone would have went through and and named all yeah. 606. There's a job that could be another Kickstarter. Name the 666 layers of the abyss.
0: Yeah, all we need is, this would be great. What we do is we just need 666 backers. I know it's done based right. on money. Maybe there's a way you can do a number of backers. And everyone will take a layer. Right. And they'll Ooh, write up their that's,
1: layer. That's, that's brilliant. Instead of giving out countries, right? we give out layers of the abyss.
0: That's <laughs> right. That's right. Like, you know, Vix would be like a bunch of angry gnomes or something, right? It would be horrific, the, right?
1: Uh, well, he said, uh, uh, keep it blood red falls... Uh, uh, river of, of the abyss. That would be perfect. Yeah.
0: Well, so maybe what we should do, all right, bad plan. This is just a disaster of a show. what let, let let's just go to the fifth layer because we have we know right. what the fifth on, layer right. is. And
1: what is that called?
0: Is well, so uh the internet tells me it's the sea of corpses. First I thought it was the sea of cups uh, Isn't that a trees. Of trees? <laughs> sounds- <laughs> I was like this this one sounds that so sounds bad. Pretty good. I like this it sounds awesome, right? I mean, of course, they're probably like angry tree ants, but um, the sea of the sea of corpses—it uh, is a vast frozen wasteland on top of a massive sea. It is also the last layer where it is physically possible for de- delvers. I don't know what is this official. What, who wrote? What is this? What is this? Is Wiki fandom? All right, whatever. It sounds good enough right. to me. Don't uh-huh. you think? Okay. All right, so is it time for random encounters?
1: Well, first of all, what is the what did it say about delvers? It's the last level the delvers can do what that they can go there on their own or?
0: Wait, you're familiar with this
1: concept of delvers? Well, I, I assume it's like uh, you know tourists, ecotourists. Us, yeah, exactly, us, yeah. us. <laughs> We're, We're a delvers. delvers. Hey, I'm a delver,
0: man. Man, I hate all the delvers. You know, it's always it's so much traffic. Right, right. Once
1: this got out on the internet that this was a, a place to come, all these. Uh, D- demonic tourists come you know that demonic yeah
0: you know. right i mean the fishing is amazing <laughs> in the blood river have you seen the size of the gauze? <laughs> right. they're, they're, they're incredible awesome. so watch out for the spider webs so uh yes it's the physically if it is uh the last layer where it is physically possible for delvers to return to the surface without losing their humanity or dying a oh, like- big deal
1: Bother I thought we've you? lost our humanity at this point. We're pretty close. We're this pretty close it. to that.
0: We're so this is like the so this is like the Rubicon. R- we are we of are the, this is the
1: Rubicon of the Abyss. That sounds like a great album title, right? For our band uh Yes, Rubicon of the Abyss. Rubicon of the Abyss. <laughs> 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 uh, their forthcoming
0: album, Rubicon of the Abyss. Hey. From uh what's from what, what were we? Oh, uh, we well, we've something. been
1: uh, the pseudo undead. We've been. Um... Dung and yeah, something. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, pseudo undead. I know. Pseudo- <laughs> hey, you see my, uh, f- hey, can
0: you see my oh, familiar?
1: Right there, look at that. Yeah. They're, they're going to like that. You're, I think we just yeah. got three or four more um, subscribers just by do- showing a cat.
0: They think I should be replaced with the cat.
1: Well, at, based on what we heard when we were trying to get this set up, the cat was more useful to my... Indeed. You were, that's right.
0: All right. All right. So it's a time, it's no, time it's, for a random encounter in the abyss? We some
1: introductions first. Uh, we, we, we're, right. You know, it looks like the world is slowly moving out of the lockdown. So that means October 9th through the 11th, uh, GrogCon, still, we're still planning it. Uh, unless there's a winter resurgence and everyone is dead at that point, but we're assuming that's not going to happen. So 9th through the eleventh, <laughs> uh, here in Orlando, uh, you, tickets should be pretty easy to uh, to get because no one's coming here right now. So we we may actually like pay money to pay people to come. may get to that point. That would be awesome. <laughs> we need grant that's money. right. We, is there is there? A, can you work on that? See what see if there's part of the stimulus? Uh, yeah, I'm,
0: yeah, I'm going to apply for some
1: grants. You know,
0: some sort of—I don't know—role-playing grants, cultural sure grant. There. We should apply for. Wait, can Gracon apply? I don't know how our patron money is. Maybe we can apply for some of this stimulus money.
1: Right. So, well, we're we're a you know? we're a tourist slash cultural uh, thing. There's got to be twenty million dollars. Mm-hmm, mm
0: mm-hmm. And we and we have fewer than what five hundred employees at our That's location. Right, easily.
1: I'd like, ten, I'd like 10 million. That would be great. I think that would keep us going. Um, I also played last night with Brian, who's on, the Captain General. Thanks for letting me uh, tag along. So if people are hankering for online play, that is, uh, you can go to our uh, meetup site, uh, the Grognards Guild of Central Florida. And um, both DM Brian and Josh are running games on Fridays, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to join, just send them a note.
0: And I was thinking about that. Don't you think we should create an NPC class called Link Boy?
1: Link Boy? Well that Rob Ritchie would appreciate that. Uh, our dear uh, the Chamberlain of Brandywine. Link and I I
0: was thinking, you know, the perfect person would be Kelly Villamere, yes. don't you think? If we could get him to write, uh, you know, and and you know, and I can see it already now in Dragon magazine. Underneath it it would say, uh, an NPC to bring a little light to your oh, party. Oh, that's
1: very good. You have like been that. thinking about this. This I, this would have been a shame if you we didn't have this. This is. That's what yeah. I do.
0: I think you know. So like you were, you know, so you, or you're a torch bearer. I was you know, a torch bearer. You were a link boy. I was boy, a link boy. Right. And so you have different you have different levels and you have a number of proficiencies like torch, and then maybe you get your level two, you get another Carry, one like lantern. Carry
1: upgrade to lantern.
0: Yep, you need a minimum dexterity, probably like
1: eight, right. seven. Yeah. I don't know. They're usually you, and you have to be oh, uh, here at minus five. You save because you're constantly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. See, it writes drop, drop
1: torch. That's a special move, and you run away in terror, you know. It, it,
0: right, yeah, exactly. Be, I, we'll itself. ask
1: Kelly to do that, which, by the way, you still have to send me the soft copy of his. uh the list of uh, non-player proficiencies, or non- non-weapon non proficiencies. Has there
0: been a large demand? No, 100%? but
1: um, we've mentioned <laughs> it a couple of times. so That's right. Okay. So we want to do that. Um, patron special, I have announced it on Twitter. And uh, May 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to... Uh, run for our patrons a, a special module that we both appreciate very much. Maybe you can talk about what we're going to run on May
0: 9th. Oh, right. So the the hope is to run the uh, Halls of Disney right. from White Dwarf Magazine, the, the greatest adventure of all time by Albie Fury. Or is it Fury? I don't know. I think it might be Fury. I think that's the way the guys over across the pond
1: pronounce it. And they would right. know. So um what's awesome about that is that uh um we're gonna talk about the module at a high level next week or um for our, our White Dwarf review, which is the actual issue that it came out in, correct?
0: It, the April May issue nineteen eighty, yep. Forty so years ago. That's this why
1: month. we're doing this. So if you are a patron, um you know, first we obviously reserve for our gold and um, platinum tier folks, but uh, you know, depending on their schedule, some can make it, some can't. Uh, then we also we'd love to have our patrons be part of it. So just send me a note uh, on Patreon or uh, direct message uh, Grog Talk at Twitter, and it's sort of first come first serve. Um, but Dan will be running it. I will be assisting. We may have some other. Uh, Uh, folks as well so we'll have to see
0: cameo yeah we'll see what happens so so
1: great Uh, let's see Uh, so again this all happens thanks to our patrons we really appreciate I know times are tough for a lot of folks throughout the world Uh, so we appreciate everyone um, helping us out that way next No heldries for today. We're actually 23 in Japan in the Swedish challenge. So that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. So thanks to our friends, uh, Menyon, and his sagacity of Kensai. We appreciate that. And if you like what we're doing, you listen to us on the podcast uh, on either iTunes. If you could give a review, that's great. We're on Google Play and the rest of it. So, uh, Dan, why don't you introduce our guest?
0: Okay. So it is our pleasure to have Bill Fawcett on the show. Uh, bill is an editor anthologist game designer book packager fiction writer and historian but most importantly for our purposes he was a frequent contributor to dragon magazine in the late 70s and early 80s and he was also a partner at Mayfair games and was responsible for the role aids division of Mayfair games and so bill it's it's a pleasure to have you on the, on the show thanks for
2: talking. welcome thank you me on.
0: So oh, yeah, so um, uh, it's it, it, it's great to have you. We're, we're big fans of your work, and so what I'd like to do is maybe you could take us back to the '70s and how you first learned about Dungeons and Dragons.
2: Okay, how I first learned that—that that was, um, but I was already a gamer. I'd been a gamer since well, Avalon Hill was bringing out in the '60s. And you had to go buy a board game for like $20 back then, which is like $50 today, in like Fields or Macy's. And so I hung around with other gamers, and one of the gentlemen, a fellow by the name of Bill Hoyer, I don't think we he's around anymore, um, observed that he was doing this new role-play game and um, explained what it was to me in broad terms. And a bunch of us said, yeah, yeah we'll try it. He wanted to test it out. And he actually was getting mimeograph sheets from Gary. So I wasn't part of the original group by any means, but Bill was. And then he was testing on us and then reporting back. So that was my first DM, and that went on for several years. And uh, he taught it to me. And fairly quickly, as he got overwhelmed, um, Bill had a job we were all cautious of. He was uh, worked for the IRS. Yeah. And, um, and Bill... Um, eventually turned the DMing over to me. And I was working on that for a while and getting involved in going down to the dungeon hobby shop in Lake Geneva. Since I lived in Milwaukee, I got to know some people. And somehow when Dragon Magazine came out, I found myself doing the centerfolds for the first 40 some issues and working with the people there. And they—they they were, those were great people.
0: So, do you remember the first time you played? So, you know, like uh, I was a war gamer too. Many of us transitioned from wargaming. and you know, I, I distinctly remember asking where the board was. I was very confused. Uh, do, you, do you remember your first game?
2: I, I have some memories of my first game. It was uh, exciting. It was it was different. It was it was a way. Uh, I've been reading science fiction and fantasy. I have, re- you know, read all the things. I read Tolkien. You, it, I'm sure many t- people have told you that D and D was a combination of Tolkien and Fritz Lieber's Farford and *The Grey Mouser* and stuff like that. I had read them. In fact, um, I was um, just really excited about it. And uh, Bill was a good DM, so it was it was one of those things where I went back and babbled at my non-gamer now ex-wife um for for hours about how exciting this was, and she thought I was crazy, and eventually that sort of went on when when we split, she wanted to name Gary as correspondent, not a woman, uh for the cause of the divorce. Uh-huh. My, my second marriage was to a gamer. <laughs> Yes, we will get to that, right? Uh, and and so so I was I was really I I knew what to expect, but I did not understand what it was going to. And I think what what really excited me wasn't just the format or the change, but the um, the the ability to do storytelling and inter- exchange it was something that, and particularly in those early days, you very much were writing stories rather than running numbers. Uh, the member of the first FET was, was very open on just very, very things. Even it, it still qualified under quantitized storytelling, but it was much more open. And so I was just incredibly excited about it. And I babbled, and we couldn't wait for the next session, and we all became friends because we would hang around and talk about what we were going to do to confuse Bill. In the next session, and things like that, so we were getting prep, and it just it it became very all-consuming fairly quickly as far as uh, spare time. And the the other big advantage I had was that I worked for an insurance company and in, in, in their main one of their offices in a main office, so I had access to a mimeograph and a copier, which at the time were both expensive options. So I worked for Wausau Insurance Group, and so for our group, I I would go to the office and at that time and run game sheets or maps or player sheets that were not otherwise available yet that we had made up. And so, in fact, when we got T-shirts for our game club, it said "Sponsored by Wausau Insurance," but they don't know it across the bottom. <laughs>
0: Uh, so and that, so you have something in common with Gary Gygax, right? Didn't he work for an insurance company?
2: Yes, actually, Gary, Gary Gary was a hard worker before TSR, D&D caught on, because TSR, as you know, went back before that for tank and all that. Yeah, that, That's why it's called Tactical Studies Rules, and that's why it's never called Tactical Studies Rules, because D&D overwhelmed it. But anyhow, yeah, Gary sold insurance, and then at night he was a cobbler. He was very good with his hands, and he worked in the basement because he had probably the most expensive option possible. He had, he had a couple of sons and three daughters.
0: And, and, and you remember the first—so uh, you met him, I assume, at some point, right? I mean, back rather, in the day—
2: Rather quickly into the process, um, I met Gary um, Oh, probably about— uh, a month or so later, when I went down to the dungeon and Bill, the whole group of us went down and we all met Gary, and that was back just when they were getting the building before dungeon start, dragon started, but they were uh, just getting ready to open the dungeon hobby shop in Lake Geneva, which later went under, uh, or they shut, and um, it was impressive. Gary cut quite a figure with his his beard and his already gray hair, and and he he had a he got that distant look in his eye whenever he was talking about something that was just incredibly uh impression- impressive and uh <sighs> Gary was not perfect, but boy, Gary sure was brilliant on occasion, and we all saw it and it was it was exciting i mean let's let's look at it um this is being part of what effectively became a cultural and world changing event, right. I mean, D&D is understood by probably everyone over the age of six in this country, and it, its terms and ideas have permeated everywhere. Um, one of the things I did was work with the Navy SEALs as a historian for a while. I had Not officially, but with the SEAL Museum in Fort Pierce and putting some books together on them, and I helped do a video program on uh, history of the Navy SEALs based on a series I had created. No books. And we were interviewing various people. One of them was this old master chief. Now, you got to understand, master chiefs are sergeants. These are about as grizzled and as hardcore and the guys who run it. And this is a Navy SEAL master chief back from the days when there weren't that many SEALs, and they were quite quite exotic and tough doesn't even begin to describe it. And he was talking about, we're doing this interview, and he was talking about a, a minute about a mission he had where he went into a village and there was a big sand dune above it. And they started taking fire from the sand dune and they hid behind a wall. They, and they had to decide if they're going to fight it out or not. And this old 40 to 50 year old master chief looked up and said, and I looked up there and I said, you know, we don't have enough hit points. i called in an airstrike. And I went, hit points? Oh, my God, we've taken over all the culture, <laughs> And that's what I knew we had it made, <laughs> that we had won. And I was no longer an isolated nerd, one of six in the game club at my five 700-student high school.
0: Yeah, and who did we have on? I'm trying to remember who we had on recently I was talking about, maybe it was Tim Cast. When he went to, that's I
2: worked
0: his, for. Yeah, right. A dragon. He went to his first Gen Con, and he was amazed to see there was other people out there that played war games. I mean, he was a war gamer at that time, right? And, and so this idea that you're you're not alone, and and now it's it's crazy now because now it's oh. not embarrassing to say that you play
2: uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Now the nerds get dates. When I went to high school, the jocks got dates. Yep. I mean, the world has changed. I, I was born in the wrong generation. I'm very frustrated with it. <laughs> we're, we're always in the
0: wrong place at the wrong time. I
2: needed to be born 10 years ago and not 70. But try. anyhow, um, yes, in fact, uh, Gen Con 1 was, was quite a thing. Um, it was in the uh, Legion Hall, as I remember, and— uh, I don't think there were maybe 100 of us there. I had just started working with the Dragon, so I showed up. We just put the first magazine out, and it became, by the way, one of their best profit centers. It took off quick and shocked the hell out of all of us. Tim did a good job guiding it in, and the other two people there were both also excellent. Um, Kim Mohan, who's the only person left still with TSR from those early days. And he was one of like employees seven Mm. full time. And then a guy named Joe Rolowski who I later partnered to open a shop with. And, and we looked around and people were playing games, mostly um, railroad games and D and D actually Gary loved railroad games. And um, so it, it was, you, you left it really energized and by, by, by Gen Con II, which had gone from Geneva Convention to Gen Con by then, um, at the Horticultural Hall, Hardy Hall, we called it. it. It was, well, when we hit 200, we cheered. Think about that. Gen Con had 200 attendees, and we cheered the milestone. Gary got up and announced it. It, it, it was amazing. Um, and it was it was a good group. Um, Hardy Hall's a funny place. It's like an old Roman villa, the center of it is open. It's uh, like a square of buildings with a big open center. And so we put all the games, I, I helped set up, and we put, put everybody helped. I mean, there were a hundred of us, you know. Um, and we put all the games in the center because it was nice weather until the thunderstorm came at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then suddenly there was a mad scramble to haul tables and I was a Napoleonic gamer, and we had 3,000 figures out on eight tables, um, and we were we had to get them all back undercover. The game never did continue. But uh, the thing I remember distinctly about the nature of who was there was I looked around and realized that there were exactly six women in that crowd, and four of them were named Gygax. <laughs> yeah. And the other one, by the coincidence, turns out to be now my wife. But, of course, at the time, I couldn't even talk to her out of sheer fear. Wow, that's a great reaction role.
1: Oh,
0: she was, because you meet her in 1980, right? So she she was there. I met
2: her in 85, but I knew yeah. her in 77.
0: Okay, so that was... I met a, her in
2: 77. Okay. But, I, that- but she was Brian Bloom's girlfriend at the time, the president yeah. of TSR. Yes. Yeah. Oh. This this is a big no poaching sign.
0: Wait, because I just thought, yeah, I and mean, then he married somebody. Else. I saw that in one of the Dragon magazines where you wrote something, there was a little advertising saying, congratulations to Brian Bloom and somebody else on their upcoming marriage. So, Yeah,
2: you know, that, that, actually, she and Brian broke up, and a while later, he his, married his secretary, whom we all knew, too. That's why that was in there.
0: And we learned that Gene Wells was dating somebody. Did we mm-hmm. learn that last episode yeah. I can't remember. who Gene Wells was dating. I can't remember. I don't want to say a name. and get it wrong.
2: But so so how did do you do end those up? those names only my own. <laughs> okay. My how own life he- I can expose. But uh, oh yeah, no uh, the the uh, uh, like gaming today. You, uh, if you can find a, a woman you like that games, I mean you 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 made an effort. Yeah, and
0: in, in, indeed. So so tell me because I I. When did you first get involved with Dragon Magazine? Because I, I know that you you wrote a ton of articles for Dragon Magazine. From, I assumed you were a freelancer essentially.
2: I was a freelancer. Okay. Yeah, I, I was never an employee of TSR. I was okay. always yeah, I would I couldn't afford to take the pay cut to work for right. TSR. I was I was making good money as an executive at an insurance company and sneaking three or four hours of writing for, for the dragon every day in the boot. Oh, right. Well,
0: Jim Ward said that he couldn't take the job until Gary could match his wages as what? Like a junior high school teacher.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I I, I was a training manager for an insurance company. Yeah. And um, as such, I was making more than Gary did the first year. Um, he sacrificed a lot to get it going. Uh, so did Arneson, by the way. We should never leave Dave out. Dave was part of the brain trust that put it together. He organized the first campaign. I mean, Dave, Dave was a big contributor. He he wasn't a businessman, and he didn't want to get tied down with the business side. So he sold out maybe a little early. Uh, and, did
0: you, and I saw, and I don't think, that it's, my suspicion is this is not accurate. I saw online a suggestion that you'd played an Artisan's Blackmore campaign, but no, I know you're I not from Minneapolis. Play. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I didn't think so.
2: Absolutely you, not. I'm, I'm,
0: get to I'm, year, I'm about a year after that. Okay. Did you ever meet him or Dave Wesley, who also Dave, is of course a big Napoleonic gamer?
2: Oh yeah, I knew Wesley from the from from, from the Empire's headquarters in Chicago.
0: Okay.
2: I was okay, so. based on Napoleonics that Todd Fisher opened and lasted about ten years. And we played there every week. And he was part of the Napoleonic Society too but dave Arneson, yes i i knew dave almost from the beginning for my beginning not his and uh we got along and in fact at mayfair at one point we brought dave in to design some modules uh, very early in the in the rollades period um uh brought him down from minneapolis and put him in an office for a couple of weeks with one of our people and generated a couple of rollades modules that uh, were eventually put out
0: and so how how did it get to be that you were started of writing for for Dragon? So who approached you? Because so I noticed your your early articles. The first article I see is is November nineteen seventy eight, Dragon twenty, and you have a couple more, and they seem to be more uh, historically based, right? War game based. Uh, I like have an article on the Aztecs, Napoleonic miniatures. You have a traveler article, I think, was actually. One of the mm-hmm. first ones I saw. So how did that start? I mean, how, how did Tim Casco approach well,
2: There were some uncredited things before that, too. Oh. You know, every Dragon magazine had a centerfold sort of of a gaming project or something. I did about 28 of those in a row. Oh. From before those writing up until I left to go to Mayfair. Actually, I went to Mayfair, and they said I could leave. <laughs> um, and I said, you're right. I'm working for a competitor now. In fact, I own part of it. I'm probably not appropriate. Um, and, um, I think the first person who talked to me was at the hobby shop, Doralowski saying, you know, we need, we, we need help on the magazine. We need articles. And, uh, what can you generate? Cause I had been writing material for them sort of anonymously, uh, for a while, not full articles, but often generating stuff or creating it and, uh, um, and, and having ideas that we were using in what was now my campaign, like the little, remember the spell aids, the little squares that had all the spells? Yes. I, I created those. And, you know, and and so all those, the, the Chosen Path adventure, uh, Elf Quest, I think, Druid Quest, I think it was called. And and I can't remember the name anymore, but it was the first Chosen Path they did. I did as a centerfold. And they said, hey, well, can you, can you do some more art? You're writing so much for this other for your campaign. And so I started doing that. And as a historian, I, was, I had a historical twist. And then what you don't have there that you probably haven't seen is Little Wars Magazine Volumes 1 through 6 before it died again. During the time we were doing Dragon, they also started a magazine for non-RPG role-playing that lasted six volumes. And I did some major long, I did a like a 10,000-word article in one of them about the Calvary Planet Austerlitz. And so I was working on that with them too, but always just coming into the office, submitting, designing, sitting down for sessions, and being a friend, because it wasn't that formal in those days. It was just, there weren't that many of us. And we sort of got to know each other and we all contributed. So I'm, going on, e-
1: I'm okay. going on eBay right now, because I know uh, Dan will try to buy all those little Wars magazines. I better buy them if they're available somewhere, so. Because as soon as he hears something that's obscure that you've never heard of, he's, he's ready to take. it. I'm, I'm all ready over it. it. That's exactly. why I have
0: Beastmaker Mountain and I've got uh, the sequel. And I think what you're talking about, perhaps, Bill, was uh, maybe ca- was Cavern Quest? Uh, yes. Maybe, yes, yeah. Cavern. Yeah. So, so, James, you know, because, Bill, what we do is we've been going through something very similar to Cavern Quest from another magazine, a more an obscure magazine called First Encounter where um, you basically you play a role and you pick what you're supposed to do. You have different choices. And um, I was very interested to see Cavern Quest because it's it's essentially the same thing. It looks like it came out earlier. So, James, we need to do Cavern Quest. It's just like what we've been doing with First Encounter magazine.
2: Okay. Uh, and then after Cavern Quest, they they started into books, and they had me do four chosen yes. books for them.
0: Right, the, like the fighting fantasy, kind of like the... Uh, from,
2: the quest uh, books, yeah. Yeah, which exactly. had on Apple, not even an Apple II, and turned it in on big five and a quarter discs, one chapter per disc. Mm. Uh, it was primitive.
0: And so let's. I think so. I love so. I love an article that you wrote, and I think I now know where the name comes from because you've been talking about Joe Orlowski, which was Orlo, Orlo's inventions can liven up your life. Oh yeah, it's, it's yeah. one of my all time favorites. So James you have percentile dice handy? Yes. Please roll some percentile dice.
2: You realize I can't remember anything about an article from back then, so you're going to put me <laughs> on the spot. I can. This is it. what
0: we do. Yeah, we never warned you. This is what we do. No, it's okay. Twelve. Okay. For James, I'm go- first going to allow you to guess what this device does, this magic item does. If you don't get it right, we'll see if uh, Bill can remember. What did you say, a twelve? Twelve, yeah. Okay. Uh, zero, the obedient... Zero. Hourglass. So James, can you guess what the obedient hourglass does?
1: The obedient hourglass, hmm. Um, It will wake you up? It's like an alarm? I have no idea.
0: Uh, uh, No, that is incorrect. Probably. No. do you have any... When
2: when you played the early game, you rolled for initiative and got to go on it. And the obedient hourglass slowed down the opposition so that you could get more in, more attacks in before for the other side. You had to flip it, and it only lasted a certain amount of time. And then at that point, it, it, it gave you basically a bonus initiative. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the mechanics were, but it was designed to help that- the players get their attacks in.
0: That sounds, that sounds kind of that kind of sounds kind of powerful for one of all those things, don't you think?
2: No? Well, I think it only lasted like three seconds or something.
0: Here, what here, is the, here is the answer. So in parentheses, you say, yes, dear, I'll be through in an hour, which of course would have been. So he designed it because of his uh, wife, right? Parenthese, the vocal at this point, mm-hmm. uh, who we know is going to cause all sorts of problems for him. Uh was developed by Orlo to flow at any rate he desired. It will complete its cycle in as little as 10 seconds or take up to 10 days to drain. If unordered, it will act as a normal hourglass. So it sounds okay. like if you wanna be like, yeah, it's I'll be done in an hour, right? You can set it for a lot, right? Probably I'll I'll,
2: much slower. I'll come to dinner in 10 minutes, dear. Yes, that was, yes. That was common. That was a common complaint for all of us that were married—that that we, 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 we'd be done in a minute. Uh-huh.
0: Oh my gosh! Should, should we? Should I? I shouldn't ask if frantasy was based upon a real person. Should I? Probably
2: not. Um, she was not. She was not based on my ex-wife. <laughs> okay, Thank you. Don't <laughs> so that far. And the, the answer is yes, but no. You won't know who it is. All right. <laughs> we're, 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 we're married, ha- so I can say that. We're
0: ha- our show is half sixty minutes, half Jerry Springer. Yeah, you didn't exactly. You know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so Orlo's advent, I love it because you say that you know back. I'm like a bat- detector. Anyhow, it's, it, you say it's it's a bunch of really fun magical items, and you say they're designed to make your players be creative in using them. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. things like you know you've got the um, you've got the rag that, that soaks up the water an enormous amounts and then deposits in the ocean. Um, I think what you've got the the peanut that you can always
2: uh, the eternal peanut. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Right. Gamerade. They weren't gamers; they were gamerades. Yes. Correct. This
0: peanut can be opened repeatedly and will provide up to three ounces of peanuts in an hour. This will be enough to supply rations for one man for half a day to travel or one evening of mm-hmm. munchies for two. So maybe can you and and. and you know, maybe I care more about this than most people, but I love this stuff. Uh, what What made you think of doing it? What, what was the incentive uh, to come up with all these?
2: Um, well, basically, you've got to remember the dynamics of doing a game back then was you, you've sat in a room for hours and hours and hours. And this was pretty much a fantasy version of all the things we wish we'd had when we were gaming. Now, how did that particular article get written? I can tell you that the initial concept for the article that they they decided I should write had something to do with the sports bar in Lake Geneva. Yeah. It was across the street from Dungeon Hobby Shop at that point. I think it was Coolies or something like that. I can't remember the name for sure now. And um, it was... A lot of sitting and talking and just you know, whatever sessions generated some some major and minor things all over TSR on various occasions. Uh, Top Secret came out of a, hey, this would be a good idea discussion at one point, and uh, so did some of the other products.
0: Okay. And so maybe now you can tell us a little bit about uh, how you were approached uh, by what Darlin uh, Bromley their Games, and mm-hmm.
2: how that all came about. Well, I was uh, writing all the Dragon articles, and he had noticed them. And I was working at that time for a different insurance company and had moved to Chicago to work for them in their headquarters. Another good company, Banker's Life, who treated me very well. And um, in fact, I was the assistant to the executive vice president. And Maker's Life was in the process of turning into the McDonald, the foundation, the John D. MacArthur Foundation. And as a result, they were liquidating the company. So I knew I didn't have a lot of job security anyhow, but I was making a bundle of money. I mean, a bundle. I bought a house on two years pay. Awesome. And um, I looked around and I was working for an insurance company and it was, it's a colorful group, but not the color's all gray. And, <laughs> and, and Darwin approached me at a small gaming thing in Chicago and said, uh, Have you ever thought of going into gaming full time? We need a person to supervise, to design, and, and work the role. We know nothing about RPGs or anything, and you do board games too and stuff. Cause I ended up doing a lot of their board games and uh, our board games at the time. And um, as a result, he said, I said, yeah, but you know, I can't, I, I don't know what I can do. Well, a month later, my first wife served me with papers and it, it was a friendly parting, but we had decided it just wasn't working. And suddenly I found myself with a lot less financial responsibilities than I'd had. Mm. And Darwin said, "Well, what do you think?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll take a seventy percent pay cut, <laughs> so I can work in my hobby. Why the why the heck not at this point?" And uh, or some phrasing similar to that. I'm gonna try. Hey,
1: Bill, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep record this and tell my wife that same thing. I'll see how that works uh <laughs> oh, good luck. bring
0: her bring her in now yeah. is she there yeah
1: but she's a nurse and can kill me 15 ways to Sunday so i'm going to i'm i'm going to wait for the proper time you know when
2: uh, well, re- remember i married a hardcore gamer uh, so her her only her only threat ever to me in our entire marriage involved uh, marriage behavior and she said don't worry just keep one thing in mind what's that you got to sleep sometime exactly.
1: Yeah, I, I,
2: I, go and ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, so, so all of a sudden, I went from a highly structured day by day schedule to driving in and doing game stuff all day. Yeah. And I was getting paid, not much, but I was getting paid, and that was it. Was it was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Now, at the time, Mayfair's headquarters were not in a convenient location. We were 20 blocks south of the loop and literally physically located under an L train yeah. in a hundred year old warehouse that had more dust than brick. And in fact, we had a warehouse cat that we thought was gray until we moved to the new offices three years later and discovered it was white. <laughs> 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 it, it, we able to get stuff definitely- in that place.
0: It reminds me of the apartment in the Blues Brothers, right? Where they're the oh,
2: train. A- absolutely. I mean, literally, <laughs> my car parked under an L train, directly above, and <laughs> you- it it was it was bad. It really was. You're uh, like,
0: oh man, this is so TSR, like 1974. <laughs>
2: Well, we did, they, well, there was no air conditioning in the summer, and so we had to take plastic sheets and spread them from the ceiling to the floor and isolate an area and put in the few windows, window units, so that we could get the temperature under 110 in the rooms we were trying to work on so our computers wouldn't fail. Um, it, it, was, it was pretty amazing. It was Darwin and Peter and then a guy named Jimmy Griffin, and... Uh, what finally convinced me to come on board wasn't RPGs, it was war, uh, war in the Falklands. The war started down there, and they needed a designer who could design the game and help them get it out quick, and so I that gave me an incentive to move, so I did, uh, we went in there, we started working, and 33 days later, we had the game out, although with some pretty mad misadventures, like getting the pieces made and stuff were, was nearly impossible. Um, and so I literally went from, this is cool, to 16 to 18 hours a day and sometimes sleeping at the office for the next month. Um, but we got it out, and it did well, and we sold two skids to Argentina. And, uh, but but physically, it was very difficult. you got to remember how primitive things were in those days. Uh, counters were... Printed, and then glued to a piece of cardboard and then cut with a die. And so, if they wouldn't dry, you couldn't get them out. And over a hot summer during the war, they couldn't get them to dry. And we we were waiting the whole game on the counters. You couldn't put it out without it for several days. And we were losing time, we were afraid the Brits were going to get there. It'd be all over. We'd have an instead of having a coup, we'd have an embarrassment. And finally. Darwin, I think, figured it out, or our printer did, and we took them to an Earl Scheib Auto Center and put them in the center of all of those things that dry cars when you get them painted. Oh, okay. And after a night of that and several hundred dollars of gas, they were dry and we got the game out, um, which got me a lot of trouble with the Brits eventually. I mean, remember the London Sun putting a headline of uh, this game and insults are dead, this is a good Irish boy making the Brits mad sort of appeal for me,
0: <laughs> which, which reminds me, you, you know, you know which article you wrote in Dragon Magazine which seemed to cause the most reaction?
2: Angels exactly. Okay, no question. I-, I got more comments on angels, and more more ha- and more ministers ranting and using my name for a while. And the guy sent a special flyer. Yeah, yeah. I understand. You know about the the guy down south of of Urbana that exploited us for years. He sent out flyers and asked for donations to fight this evil thing, and then did absolutely nothing but collect the money. He never caused us a bit of problem. That's what we did here never did anything. just his his <laughs> exploitation of it. And, and we so we didn't poke him because we didn't want to put that, that you know, as, as long as people thought someone was doing something, maybe no one else would. So we just left him alone. But he must have made tens of thousands getting people to contribute to stop our evil satanic plot. And um, um, anyhow, and but yes, angel, <laughs> angels caused me a lot of trouble for people that, that the gamers loved it. But some parents and occasional principals got a little bent out of shape, and I did hear about it.
0: Yeah, because uh, so some of the some of the letters were published. I knew because I went through the Dragon magazines, and I, somebody yeah somebody called somebody not called wrote to complain that you know the Bible should be separate from gaming's bad taste, and then of course letters come after that in support of the article. So, but you know, hey, you know,
1: well, it uh, danced around the a, whole. I mean, you know, you. Look to a point. There's definitely Christian themes in here, and you just kind of took the last leap of it with the, with the article. It wasn't like you know we have demons and devils and and uh, you know the deities. deities and they well they and you know they they uh, didn't put the Christian Muslim you know uh, the the Abrahamic or biblical deities, but they have a lot of the trappings of it. They talk about you know. Exorcisms and these type of things—it's very Catholic.
2: Our works for Christians. I mean, right. they were always designed on on a warrior Christian priest. And and this and there was yeah. no. And and I I simply took my Catholic grade school education and made use of right. it. Right. And, and you know everyone was worried about
1: statting you know God or Jesus. That's because that that was the next leap. You take deities and demigods, you know.
2: Gary would never allow right. that. Right,
1: but it, it's you could see people doing that just from because once you gave Odin hit points, and it, even though it made it very clear that that was an avatar uh, of it, you know, you you could see. I'm sure someone has done it, and your article was, pro- you know, taken in that way, which really wasn't the, the purpose of it. And and but you know, back in then, it was the more creepy, the better. At all, you know, when I was a I was young uh, when that. Uh, when that was around, and and that was the allure of it. So, but I could I could well, only imagine as an adult what an, a a nightmare that must have been.
2: I was I was young still in mind at least. Uh, it was <laughs> new. It was exciting. We were pushing back on the envelope. Yes, I wrote that to push the envelope. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. And well, it, <laughs> it, it, and it it pushed the envelope and a lot of buttons, but. Uh, I think the lasting effect was actually beneficial because after that, no one complained about any of our other articles. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was very clever. Well played. Oh, so so uh, you, when you get to Mayfair at a certain point in time, right, probably a couple years in, uh, you apparently convince uh, Darwin that Mayfair should get into the, the role playing game business, right? And that's how role aids, is created, correct?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, but We were there about a year and a half. We'd always talked about it from the beginning you brought me in for but we had to get the board game stuff done right first and uh, getting various things out. And we'd had some good successes like Empire Builder at that point, which, which was created in a car driving back from a convention in Michigan almost entirely, except for Peter's math. Yeah, we we had been playing another game and we didn't like the way it ended in another railroad game and we it was one of those Darwin and I driving back to Chicago for six hours plus a girl I was dating and laying on the back seat adding comments mostly sarcastic and here's well here's what I would do yeah and what we ought to do is this and here's what I would do and that yeah we had and by the time we got to Chicago we write it up and the whole Empire Line was started made possible by the fact that his brother, Peter, was a PhD, or almost a PhD, I forget if he did his dissertation or not, in mathematics from the University of Chicago. Uh, and the, the math on the distances and the deliveries and everything is brilliant. And it made the game and feasible. And uh, so finally we got to the to, to roll eggs, and of course the first ones we, we did were our friends. Or myself. And so we had um, basically um, uh, started with things like Peacemaker Mountain. And and then the first ones we came out were very primitive. The first ones were done in folders. And the only... On the only printing on the folder, yep, there you go. Got it. And the only printing was just inside the pages of the folder. And they were the role aids. Now, Beastmaker Mountain was one I did. Um, it was basically my version of Tegel Manor with more directed plot. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: It's well, yeah, it's way better than, than, than Tegel Manor in, in that but regard.
2: It was inspired by Tegel Manor. And we went from that to blasted lands by someone we knew. And then the first of the Fez theories, which ended up, Fez was the name of a mage, by the way, not a hat. And, and then an Orion stone, which was sort of a dead end. And those all came out in about a six or eight week period. because we had to gang print them to afford it. Now, you got to remember doing one of those in those days was a major undertaking, Because doing one of these meant that um, it wasn't that you could take, uh, say, Fez and just pipe it up and put it in a page maker. You had to run it off in little strips, use hot wax to line it up straight on paper, create the whole page, put it in a giant photo machine, take a picture of the page with this – this is pre-computers, remember – And take a picture of the page, and it was all, and then have the picture copied onto a a a lead thing, and they printed pages, and it would it, it would take three people all day to do one or two pages of a module, just to lay it out after it was written, and so we did those, and then of course we got we got into it from that, and the. Public wanted better looking as the hobby shops grew and we needed more things. So we had to move into some sort of cover. So we we started with some pretty primitive covers and also with a bunch of good interiors, um, which were kind of new. They're the ones in the TSRs, we were trying to show them up on that. They simply escalated theirs. We were, of course, competing with a company that had created the product and had more money and had more talent, was literally available, too. And then so that finally led to where we had to uh, start creating color on it. And uh, I blame Jeff, Jeff, Isley, Jeff Easley completely because he did those brilliant covers and he upgraded everybody's requirements when TSR started putting color covers on cost us a fortune to compete at that point, so we began doing. Yep, there you are. The first color covers, which were Power of Magics and. I don't know if you've got it up there yeah, I'm, yet. I'm but,
1: showing it. Uh, I'm showing it right now. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Okay, Power of Magics and Mission of Gravity, or uh, whatever that was. Something Gravity. Um, and, um, that was our first attempts. Well, what, what you may notice by our first covers were they weren't original art. I was, I had a lot of friends who were writers and I knew the artists in their book covers. So the first dozen or so World aids covers are really portions of our covers from books, such as the one, the one from Tower of Magics was really a Carolyn Cherry novel cover. Or more game cover.
0: Yeah, I see it says uh, Jannie Wirtz, also the author of Sorcerer's Legacy, published by A Science Fiction.
2: Yeah, and then we moved into doing Jannie Wirtz covers. To, we, we, we needed to upgrade the quality of the art, so we and Jannie needed money. We'd met her at a convention, so she, set, she started doing, she had about 30 pictures that she had prints of, so we literally bought every piece of art she had and those were our covers for the next year, year and a half on all of our products. And then once we, once we finished that, we went to David, uh, some David Cherry, and then we cut the big deal, Boris. And we, got, we had gotten by then, we were being distributed by Berkeley Games, so I had gotten to know some people in the publishing business, and I got to meet Boris Viejo's agent. And so we cut a deal to have Boris do covers for us or actually to use his existing art. He wasn't doing original. He probably got more for his art than our company was worth at that point. And so we began putting Boris's covers on various pieces of art and that upgraded the quality again, although it was a limited number, but it cost us big time because we had to do two other products that the agent insisted we do if we were going to buy his art. First, we did the Boris Viejo art game. Now, the Boris Viejo art game looked beautiful, and it played as well as we could with what we had, but very honestly, it wasn't a great game, and it was awkward to play, and it didn't sell very well, but it did do better than the other product which she forced us to create, which was the Barbara Cartland board game. romance writer Barbara Cartland. I designed the Barbara Cartland board game to simulate playing in a Barbara Cartland novel. And that had two bad side effects. First of all, we found out that nobody who reads those novels plays games. (laughs) I think we sold about 100 of them (laughs) and had a warehouse that scrapped about 1,000 more. And the second one was, in order to write it, I had to write on the Chicago L... Um, reading Barbara Cartland books, and Barbara Cartland books are very distinctive with bright pink covers. And the most interesting people would make an effort to sit next to me as I sat reading Barbara Cartland books. Thirty-something <laughs> <laughs> young yeah, man, uh, not a, whom, a lot of whom I wanted to meet, and some turned out really nice people, and I actually got to know for a while, but. Um, it, it did give some interesting impressions uh, at that point. And then finally, about the same time as we started generating, um, started doing uh, art, we found better second rights, such as this Fantastic Treasures cover. And we also um, began to get sell enough copies because we... Beastmaker Mountain sold about 1,200 copies when it went out. By the time we were doing things like Fantastic Treasures, we were doing print runs over 10,000 and often reprinting. And eventually, after about 100 modules, we started doing all of these uh, products that were basic packs, that were products that uh, like the hardcover books that were coming out. And because we did them in trade and we priced them lower, we actually did about 20 of these uh, background packs. And I always like doors, of course, something about being short and heavy. And and they were um, rather popular, actually. Um, and we did very well with them for a while, which, of course, leads to the other adventure uh, of discussion, which was, I'm sure you're going to bring it up, that. Uh-huh.
0: Well, I w- I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up or not, but since you have, yes, uh,
2: I'm, I'm willing a, to discuss it. So,
0: there's a settlement so, agreement. So, i so, actually yeah, ready. just
1: hold on. a second. yeah, a, yeah I'm, I'm trying to catch up. You, yeah, I'm showing these pictures one at a time here. So, and it's interesting. Oh, so, it? yeah, it's okay. Just uh, so, for instance,
2: all right. Which, which, so, so eventually, so eventually, the line evolved, and we did over a hundred aids I think I know we did at least eighty. Um, and it came out for years, and as things began to fade, um, we began doing them less often. And we were, we were only putting about four a year out when TSR approached us and said, we just want to buy your whole rulings out. Now, a little background on that is um, there had been at one point open warfare, TSR against the world, TSR trying to trademark everything. And uh, Gamma was effectively formed to counterbalance TSR by all the other companies getting together. It later quickly evolved into a professional uh, professional organization for the industry. And so um, we we and then after Lorraine Bardesvazian took over, she started very aggressive. And then one day she sat down and realized she had spent $2 million on lawyers for $180,000 in settlements and said, maybe I'm doing this wrong. And under her leadership, they turned around, joined Gamma, became friendly, put the D20 system out for everybody and said, let's just work with people and let's just be, it's not a zero-sum game. Let's all work together. And about the time of that change, she said, "Look, instead of fighting you, I'll buy you out." And she offered us some money, and we sold her the Rolades line and the rights to all the products. And we said, "What do you want us to do with the warehouse full of products?" And she said, "Pop them." So we, after I took all I wanted, we pulped them. And um, it was it was our sale was really a sign of the change in the industry to TSR from being an isolated pusher to a cooperative part of uh, all the industry and it's stayed that way ever since
0: and, and but when was the sale roughly <sighs> early
2: late 80s okay yeah because
0: there's, there's in 1984 apparently I right, used to, there's a settlement agreement right between you yeah, guys
2: that's totally different have we put the bug up which which bug the uh Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I put that up already. Yep. Okay, if you want to put it up for a second. Um, What happened there was we had my partner, Darwin, was a lawyer from Kirkland and Ellis. He was an escape lawyer. And we were all escape. I escaped the insurance industry. He escaped law. And poor Darwin. Darwin went to Kirkland and Ellis and spent two years working on the Amoco Cadiz spill doing research. That's all he did for two years was generate paperwork on that. That'll sour you on the law quickly. <laughs> and, and, and Peter was an escaped grad student. And um, Jimmy was an escaped Chicago teacher. And so we all got into this. And Darwin said, you know, we're sitting one day. These are We're the first company besides Judges Guild who puts out something very different to do something really for D&D. Let's see what we can do. I think I can support this. And so we started doing it. And of course, they they did sue us. And it went to court. And it was a very... Darwin, uh, we hired an attorney. Darwin had deep pockets. And um, we hired an attorney. And Darwin was there, too. And then um, Brian's brother, Kevin, ran the legal team for the other side. He was their CFO at TSR. And... We always thought we were going to get our head handed us, but when the dust settled, the judge actually ruled not that we were legal, but that certain things we had put in products were not, and we had to withdraw those products. But the use his compromise was, but the use of the bullet was legal so long as we stated clearly that they did not approve of it, which is what we did on all the product. They were angry right after that happened. If you read. Kim Mohan's editorial column in um, Dragon Magazine. Um, He did a long column, and by the way, we're still friends, um, and stayed friends. Uh, He did a long column about taking advantage of others and everything, and the first letter of every paragraph spells out the word Mayfair. (laughs) He never named this, but the first letter of every paragraph spells it out. Go back, find that issue, and you'll find that. Oh, wow. (laughs) Something you may have noticed. And I thought that was really cool. I called him up and complimented on it. He thought it was cool, too. But they told him, you know, take these people to the cleaners, but don't mention them by name because they've got good lawyers.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think so the products that I think most people remember well, Beastmaker Mountain uh, has stood the test of time. So it got very favorable reviews at the time. It's still considered very good, highly sought after. Thank you. Uh, Yes, it's wonderful. Um, As you know, I've got a copy because when I got back into gaming after about a thirty-year hiatus, I decided to investigate modules that I probably didn't hear of at the time. Because you know, James and I have talked a lot about this. For us, TSR was the thing. If it wasn't TSR, it was an off-brand, and you know that's just the way we were at the time. A lot of us and a lot of people
2: were. They were selling a hundred thousand when we were selling ten. And
1: and I owned
2: Lich Lords back.
0: Ah, thank you. and that was the other one I was going to bring up, the undead, which I think started the Lich Lords, and then you had the Lich Lords after that, right? That apparently still today is is considered uh, to stand the test of time. It's considered. I mean, so if I if I bought it, it's because somebody on the internet said it was really good and I should buy it. And so, so well, I, I just have. love the I love um,
1: the cover, and I was looking for a high level adventure, um, but you know, as we've talked about, it was still hard, even though it was you know by far. From my recall, it was close enough to TSR, and I hate to use that term, because we were just so, I don't know if it was the mindset. We've had this conversation with people before, at least we came right at the 1980, and I think that DYI, do-it-yourself mindset really wasn't there. So if it wasn't canon, and I hate hate to use this, um, we didn't appreciate it. You know, When I read Dragon Magazine, if it was a third-party thing, I went, meh. It's only now that I really appreciate it. I think it, well, but it's, it's just for a 12 year old, it just felt like it was, at least for us, for me, it was. Um, So when I bought Lich Lords, I was like, well, this looks really cool, but it's not from, and I did enjoy it, but it really, that was the first non TSR thing I ever bought. So because it had high level adventure and it kind of started me uh, changing that mindset because the hobby stores we had, they were in toy stores. We didn't really have, I was not aware of like, I'm sure there were trained hobby stores. So whatever that one rack had of fantasy besides the Barbies, that's what we had. And it was predominantly uh, TSR. And
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's because we were all distributed by uh, book companies. Yeah. They, they had Random House and we had Berkeley. And Random House had uh, Reach grew their other connections into almost every store in the country at one time or another um, so it worked out well uh, Beastmaker Mountain, Orlo's, Orlo the Magician is physically and personality Joe Orlowski our partner in the hobby mm-hmm. shop and the guy I worked for at the Dragon uh, magazine He it, it was a tribute to Joe um, he was never married and fantasy was a combination of other characters we knew She was not one person uh, so you stop worrying. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm still not so sure, but that's all right. Go on. I'll, I'll, I'll tell I got, you that's more.
2: my story, and I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do so until the life laws change in this country. And, <laughs> and of course, um, when we went on to the Blasted Lands and other sequels to it, um, Orlo stuck around, and that was Joe. Mm. And um, Joe was act- went went from working at the magazine to running Dungeon Hobby Shop for a while, uh, working with uh, Gary's son, Ernie. And um, then they decided Dungeon, Dungeon wasn't doing well enough. It, getting to Lake Geneva to shop was not easy. And uh, so they had literally thousands of miniatures they didn't know what they were going to do with, and TSR is making boatloads of money. They just didn't want to bother with the shop. So they they gave Joe a really good price, and he called me up and said, "Hey Bill, want to start a hobby shop? This is 1980." And I went, "Great!" So we went out and found a location. It turned out to be a little weirder than we thought, but we found a location and opened Games Plus with surplus products from the dungeon and a bunch of old stuff from uh, West End Games, a distributor at the time, out of uh, West Chicago and uh, West Chicago Games, rather. Uh, not West End, which was the yep. Super, uh, Star Wars people. Yeah. Um, we did put them in. But, um, and um, so we found this place and we rented it from a little old lady who never went downstairs. And the little old lady um, never knew what was there. And we got in and we were getting it set up and the phone company comes in and, and, and I, it says, we're going to put your phone line in how many uh, lines do you want? And we said, well, how many can we have? What are you asking? He says, well, they're set up here for 28. Hmm. And I, it hit me at that point. It had been a locksmith shop. It had a basement with steel doors <laughs> on both sides <laughs> and bars. It was a, bookie, right. it's a bookie joint. a bookie place, yep. We had our office and we had opened our shop in what had been a crooked locksmith for the mob and a bookie joint. And for the first several months, big guys that weren't well-dressed would walk in holding boxes, look around confused for a minute, and leave with a panicky expression. It was the strangest feeling. And so we gamed where they had been running a bookie joint for about three years in that basement. And Joe and I got it going, and it was a struggle. And our first day, we made $100. In our first year, we made maybe $100,000 and barely made rent. I didn't take a salary. He barely could. And um a couple of years later we sold out to the guys who have it now and they're a tremendous success they do do a very great volume and they've moved but Arlo was the inspiration in fact most of the people and most of them uh that uh, people wrote including Fez were people I could identify for you as they were all Fez uh was by a group of people who lived in Chicago uh, in the Mayfair district that were the rest of the game club with Darwin that Mayfair was named for. Did
0: did any of the people who showed up looking for the bookie joint did they ever did you ever convince them were they curious about gaming did you ever convert any of them
2: to gaming uh, absolutely not they 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 would not get more than two steps in the door and have a shocked expression and we're talking generally unshaven not terribly clean often. At least one of them was actually holding a small safe in his arms as he walked in.
0: Well, up until the safe, you were just describing what most people at your typical convention, That's gaming
1: right. convention. No,
2: but, no, yeah, this no, is- no, completely different look. Completely oh,
1: okay. different look. A little more um, gold chains, it sounds like. Yeah,
2: a little little, little little, more, yeah, I don't want to get ethnic, but... Hey, I'm ethnic, um, so it's okay. They came, in, they came in from Melrose Park, not, not Highland Park. So... um yeah, it, they were definitely looking for the locksmith who would open things for a fee without asking where you got it. You could have been like a thief's guild. That's right. I might have interested them if I thought any could read.
0: <laughs> hey, so I've always complained. Okay, yeah, go ahead, we've
1: got so we got a couple of questions online. So oh yeah, yeah, um, uh, David wants to know: Did you work on the DC game while you were there?
2: Yes, I did. I'm holding up the D3 um, game. David uh, was very com- was
1: complimentary of DC, uh, saying it's introduced mechanics that were used in games today. They also want. Do you still play Napoleonic's at this point? Are you playing at all? When
2: I can't that very often. I don't have my figures anymore. Uh, I was part of Ray. Jo- Ray Johnson was a guy in, in Lake Zurich, Illinois. Who had seventeen thousand twenty-five millimeters. Wow. We had great games, three-day games, divorce-making games. Yeah, I bet. So
1: you need, those were great. You need, like, three of the time pieces of obedience there. Uh, you, one would not do it, so, because, wow, that's awesome. And, and the last question that I saw was, uh, you know, uh, David, our dear friend from Australia, is listening from South Australia, he... Uh, I guess you wrote a uh, UFO book. Is that true? Making Contact. Making Contact. That's correct. Yeah.
2: So what was that? Yes. Yes. He said embarrassed. Um, The the, the premise of the book is basically to train you for what you would do if a UFO landed in your backyard, complete with stories of what other people did and what worked out and what didn't. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. But of course, I don't think UFOs are aliens anyhow, so... It's a completely different story. Ah, there you go. Uh, UFOs are, well, let's take Occam's razor. Yep. Take Occam's razor. You've got a uh, situation where um, it is a planet that may or may not be reachable from beyond, but we have an intelligent race on it that is interested in time travel. And we have all of the future. And already we're finding anomalies in time and stuff. So my theory is that it's not aliens, it's time travelers, which is why they don't want us to contact them too much, because they don't want to change the timeline and put themselves out of existence or try paradoxes. Now, if it's from the future, it's probably academics studying culture, just like our sociologists or anthropologists do. Well, the anthropologists generally, with a few exceptions, don't sit and take all the notes and do everything. Who would they send back in their saucer-shaped time machines? Grad students, Yeah. which explains why they crash, they occasionally get seen. We got bearded-up grad students watching us from the future, and that's what the UFOs are. And and why don't things make sense? Because the animals that are being mixed up and... and Dissected or people being, those are grads. Those are doctoral thesis studies, most of which don't make sense, and that's why we can't figure it out. (laughs) And
1: then now we don't have to buy the book. You should have. You should have talked it up, Bill. I'm sorry. You probably could have got some people there, but that's uh. It's out of print. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) He's not making any money anymore. Uh, can
0: you? so can you talk a little bit about the CWA Con? About what? Uh, the convention, right? Was it the CWA Con, the Chicago War
2: Association convention? I was never involved with that except attending. It was oh, a great okay. convention, but I was not involved. I'm involved at Dragon Con.
0: Oh, okay. Because I knew you had written, uh, you would written stories on it and uh, reviews of it. I recall correctly. Yes, I wrote
2: reviews, but I only did it as an attendee and to encourage people to go. It's, it's a great con. They didn't do it this year. Uh, there's still um, Miniatures Con in Chicago. Okay. Okay. Town. I'm on part, I'm down in Atlanta now, which is another good gaming town. Um, but uh, it's it's been around. It was it was to fill the need for miniatures originally. Okay. And, and um, Duke Siegfried from Heritage had a lot to do with it, helping us get started with it. And a lot of guys I knew started it, and it was, really was and inspired by the gamers for the gamers, never meant to really be much of a con, just to get together for everybody to play these games. And then we got organized. And that uh, by we, I mean them. <laughs> and uh, we went from there.
1: Well, I know that our, our dear friend, Lane, he goes to Dragon Con pretty much every year. That's on Labor Day weekend, right, typically? Or?
2: Yes, September two to seven this year, if it happens. Which we're hoping it well, will. Well, we're hoping
1: so too, because our little uh, convention, GrogCon, which is uh, here at Crucible, uh, is October 9th through eleventh. Shameless plug for us. So there you go. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so. Where is it located? Well,
1: it'll be at the uh, Wyndham Hotel in Kissimmee, which is just south of Orlando, so Orlando, Florida. Okay. So if you want to, if you want to okay. come down, let us know. We'll, we'll we
2: can work something out. That would be awesome. I, I might, I might be happy. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in Atlanta. I can drive. Yeah. You don't have to no. deal with people. So I'm not that
1: far. It's um, about six and a half hours. I, we were up, we went to the peach bowl a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, mm-hmm. as long as you avoid yeah. 75 as much as you can, you know, it's not too bad. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I work with DragonCon. I never remember when I volunteered. I don't remember volunteering. I got asked to do a couple things and, Ten years later, I'm working with the guy running it, and I'm still involved. Um, we're on 34, I think. I've been gone since one, just like Gen Con's. I've, I've made the first 25. I was the auctioneer for a couple of years. My proudest moments when I did 30, sole auctioneer one year, and I did 3,600 items. Wow. Oh. Yeah. No yeah, voice. I you shot. <laughs> now I you a shot.
1: So, so we, we, we need to bring him down as an auctioneer. Right.
2: <laughs> it's been a while. I think that was the second year of perks. Yeah, it's
1: like riding a bike.
2: <laughs> so that was fun. I'm just bummed about the cat. Yeah.
1: Sorry about that. Welcome to the
2: tech tech yeah. thing. So
0: Yeah, it's been it's been having to us all morning. It really I think it's like familiar, the black cat. I you know.
1: So it sounds like you
2: moved you it's moved down to
1: Atlanta song. in the uh late eighties then? Is that uh
2: I know. I moved to Atlanta last December. I've been in Chicago and Oh, okay. I. So you've just I down from Lake Geneva on twelve for thirty five years, forty years. Oh, okay.
1: So you just came down it, but you were going to Dragon Con. You flew down from Chicago every year to.
2: And, yeah, I drive or fly down every year since the first. And Jody is well attended. Um, and do, are you guys familiar with Jody's involvement with TSR? I'm married to Jody Lynn Nine, the science fiction. Oh, writer. yeah. Oh.
0: That's all. That's all I know. I didn't know of a TSR connection.
2: Oh, well, first of all, when Jody was 19, she started dating Brian Bloom, who was president of TSR. And this is uh, after the box set, but before AD&D. And they were still running an incredibly tight budget. And he came to her while she was a uh, student over the summer between her freshman and sophomore years and said, we need someone to transcribe these notes for these books that Gary's going to Gary's written longhand on yellow on, on legal pads. and um, don't change anything. Well, Jody got them and transcribed them, but also um, cleaned up the English and filled out sentences and stuff where Gary had you know writing on a pad first draft. And when she was done, they were the player's handbook, monster manual, and DMG. Wow, did not know that.
0: Wow, the entire, the entire, the entire. All three of them.
2: Yeah, she got a wow. dollar a page for each one of those. She got made. That was her summer job, and she spent the summer transcribing Gary and cleaning up his grammar. And um, she's the one who physically typed those books into the into the, uh, the computer. And she was involved with them ever since. In fact, it was I did. Like I said, I saw her and I saw her at conventions, but I never said more than hi because she was Brian Bloom's girlfriend. You didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. First when you perform and then when you were a friend um, from another company. And then I met this girl 10 years later and didn't make the connection. Hmm. And we dated almost two months before we went up to Winter Fantasy where I was going to show off all my important friends and she knew what I did, but I didn't know what she'd done. So I get up there and I'm going up to Gary and I say, Gary, I want you to meet. And he rushes up and throws his arms around her. <laughs> Everybody there knew her better than they knew me. Ah, uh, awesome.
1: What a story. Was 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 Gary okay that, that, with her changes? What?
0: Was Gary okay with her changes? Because they said don't change anything. Brian Bloom said don't, well, he don't didn't, change
2: anything. She didn't change any of the content. She just cleaned up phrasing, put would... some commas in. Wow, that, that's, that's
1: very interesting. That's cra- I mean,
2: but crazy. Did, none of the ideas are hers. The ideas are Gary's. He just did the physical editorial process on Gary's ideas. Unbelievable. That's awesome.
1: I mean, just to see it, for me, this, to be the, one of the first to see it typed
2: and, you know— she was effectively the first to see it besides right. Gary, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, now as a gamer, did she, you know, did you ever ask her what her opinion was of it looking back? You know, because she was gaming already then. Um, oh, she was a D&D player right, too. Right, right. So did she...
2: So she loved okay. it. I mean, this was great. This was, this, I mean... Come on, she was a gamer dating the president of the company and typing up Gary's stuff. Right, right. What do you think she thought? What would you be like in that situation at 19? Yeah, that'd
0: that be interesting. Inside.
2: I could bring her in and have you and you could ask her, but you can always do a set time with her if you want that'd someday. Be awesome. Yeah, that would be great. I think that
0: that would be yeah. Because I want to know what she's you know is she typing this and she's like oh no 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 that yeah. spell shouldn't work like that.
2: No, she she did the job they gave them, which is don't change it, just put it in, put the pair of commas and pick and sent make finish the sentences and stuff.
0: I just wonder if she was thinking yeah. it like oh not changing it, just thinking like oh no 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 half or cleric. Fourth level? I,
2: Come on. I don't, I don't think you you understand the mindset at that point. Um, this stuff was tablets coming from above.
1: Well, that's how we feel it is. But, you know, the more you talk about it, was, it was, yeah, you know, well, we, we certainly feel that way. You know, it was the, we call them. Well, so did the rest of us who were closer. Yeah, we call them the Holy Trinity. So.
2: I, I was so sorry when we lost him. Yeah.
1: It is, it
0: is amazing the, you know, when we talk to people who knew Gary, how they talk about him, the reference. You know, um, they, they, they really do hold him in such high esteem. Um, it, it, it is very interesting to hear them talk about him. Um, do you, out of curiosity, what was your views on first edition compared to original D&D? Because it seemed to get, obviously, you know, you even made a reference to it as more freewheeling. Originally, it got much more rule heavy. Uh, did, did he, was there one version that you preferred over the other?
2: I would say original box set uh, was what hooked me in the storytelling aspect. I didn't need the numbers as much, but I know where I first edition went, got more specific. And that was because of the hundreds of queries and the ability to spread more widely and be used by more people. Uh, to use the box set, you've all got to be good storytellers. You've all got to be able to keep images in your mind. And um, by first edition, some of the quantitized was increased to make it more universally playable. Because the trouble with box edition is the guy over here and the guy over there had different interpretations. And they were very different. And the intent was to create a more universal experience so that when you played at a con you played somewhere else, you can communicate the game. Box set leaves so much latitude that two DMs will be, will treat the whole game very differently and it'll feel very different. By first edition, it was more universally spread, and that's what helped. First edition's what really took off um, for for universal, and, and because it was more quantitized in what we're doing, Quantitize Interactive Storytelling.
0: Did you ever have an opportunity to play in one of Gary's games?
2: A couple of times. Tournaments or conventions or whatever. I'd never played in one of his campaigns. Oh, you know? Okay. Which I was always sorry. I played in campaigns with people who played with him, but never him directly. And Just, when was he-, I, he beat me at a lot of games. Rail Baron consistently.
0: Yeah, he loved real, he liked railroad games too. If I recall,
2: loved railroad games. He and I shared that,
0: and Al, Al Hammock as well.
2: I believe yes, Al, Al did, and so did Mike, who did Dawn Patrol eventually, and Darwin, who was a total train nut. Um, when we formed Mayfair, there was no question there would be a railroad game eventually. It was going to happen because we all love trains.
0: And uh, and do you remember the last time you saw or spoke with Gary?
2: We had a dinner. He'd gotten over the shingles. You know, Gary had shingles for about a year and a half, really bad, painful, nasty, horrible. We always felt sorry. He'd gotten over, and he and Gail and I had a dinner in Lake Geneva about six, eight months before we lost him. And it was just a nice meal, and we just chatted, and we chatted mostly. Mostly we talked about all the people we had in common, where they were at and what they were doing, it, that point in life, many had moved on or moved away.
0: And, and, and would it be? You talked about Dave Arneson. So fair to say that it, it really it needed both of them uh, for this to happen. That you know, without both, wouldn't have D and D as it is today. Absolutely,
2: okay. Dave. Dave, major idea contribution, major um, uh, handling of various things, uh, presenting concepts. And doing grunt work, judging.
0: Okay, let's say you 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 get to play one character. What race? What profession? One e.
2: Uh, one D and D character.
0: Yep. So yep, So if you had to play one character for the rest of your
1: days, what would it be?
2: A really quaint, cranky dwarf cleric. <laughs>
1: Non, it's a, it's a non-player character. Sorry.
0: Oh, we're not going to get into that.
1: You have,
2: you, uh, <laughs> what? What do you normally play? Half-elf um, uh, mage uh, characters.
0: We have okay. We we, we have a just we we have an issue perhaps with Unearthed Arcana. So, but that's uh, which ex, ex, expanded on. you use
1: the word. We're the, not supposed to use the word. That's the that's the book. The book.
0: Well, yeah i not know what we're talking the about. The book that so. shall not
1: be named. So. Yeah, so. Okay.
2: okay. Uh, uh, now, if, 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 first of all, I identify with the dwarves, but the L's are more fun to play.
1: <laughs> I was looking to see if he was on the list of participants for the Masters. Uh uh, tournament, whatever that thing was, in the summer of his seven, name nine.
0: was listed. You know, they would give addresses for people who are, are looking for gamers. You know, they do that in the Dragon magazine. Mm-hmm. And Bill, like, you were in there. You know, at the same time you're writing articles, there's your address. I, mean, I love those days. where I guess you just kind of knock on someone's door, right? And be
2: like, yeah. We, we sought each other out. If you found yeah. someone, it was it was a benefit. I mean, and 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 if you could find a good group to play with, you loved it. And um, in fact, when I moved to Chicago and I had to leave the Milwaukee group, I I found another group and they were great. We played in this guy's basement in a campaign that's still running, the Two Towers campaign, um, forever. The group also had a a penalty that was a benefit. Three of the people worked for White Castle. So they would get off work and bring bags full of the last run that they wanted to get rid of. This was a great benefit. (laughs) Okay. We're not without windows. This caused problems. <laughs> you were hardcore. <laughs> if you stuck around, you really, really wanted to play. <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. So, so um,
1: you know, obviously, after uh, Mayfair, did you stay in in producing things? I know when we talked yesterday, you know this, and you know both David online. You've been a prolific author, so um, both nonfiction history, other things. Uh, have you kept that passion the whole time, or did you gravitate one way or another?
2: Um, which passion? Gaming, yes. Um, I, After I left, um, I got into computer games. I did an RPG for AOL, which eventually got published by Simon & Schuster when AOL went under. I did um, seven or eight other... Electronic games of various types, uh, including. Um, do you remember the old Panzer General games? Oh yeah, remember Star General? I didn't play that. the science fiction. No, I, of Panzer General. I, I played Panzer I, Leader, I, but yeah. Okay, I, I designed it. Wow. And uh, my company produced. I had a software company for about seven years. Didn't shut it down until the nineties, when the quality in the amount you had to invest in software went up so dramatically that instead of doing a game for a hundred grand, you had to spend 2 million to compete. And I got out. I I didn't have to have 2 million extra that I didn't, I wanted to roll dice on. And, um, and I doing that, I'm still working on game stuff today. Um, I'm hoping to do an app in the near future involving Munchkin, but it's not yet papered, so I can't go into great detail. But Steve's a good friend and a brilliant designer as oh, well. Goodness. He, cert- I, I, I value him, and um, I'm hoping to uh, exploit a little of that for our mutual benefit. And um, I'm still doing books, both science fiction and, uh, and uh, actually some mysteries. And, of course, I've written all those great mistake books about history. Um, The premise of which is the important thing in history is not the plans, but the mistakes that the great men made that changed the course of history, because things have not gone the way anyone expected, and the reason is what went wrong. Mm. So I have done a number of books on various types of things or various periods when what went wrong and how it affected everything, and I think the most obvious example is How to Lose World War II, which I gathered articles from people and wrote in, and If all the things that had not gone wrong, we'd have lost World War II. Hmm. I mean, um, you you talk about mistakes. Uh, The Germans had it and blew it, Um, as far as World War II was going. uh, I think probably most characterized by a quote from Churchill in 1944, some SAS guys came in and said, "Hey." We can go assassinate Hitler. We've got a plot that is absolutely going to work. And Churchill looked at them and said, have you seen the decisions he's been making? He's the best man we have over there. <laughs> Don't kill us. <laughs> Some capital could take over. And so, and so it goes. And the last ones I put out, um, unadulterated plug, 100 Mistakes That Changed History, Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Executive decision mistakes that made history and 101 stumbles in the march of history are 300 examples of major mistakes that changed the course of history. And I've still got room enough for 10 more books, I think, in the mistakes out there. And of course, it's so nice they're generating so many new ones. Right. I was just
1: going to say, this one's writing itself. Your next book is uh, writing itself, this pandemic. I mean, you'll It's the gift that keeps on giving. So, uh.
2: Well, I I stopped at 1990 when I started these in 1995. Uh, I may move it up to 2000, and I've got plenty in that 10 years. I'm going to have to live a lot longer before I'm willing to talk about something that the guys who made the mistakes are all currently still in office and (laughs) trying to earn their limit. I I learned that lesson at Mayfair when we did Family Wars. Um, It was a mob game. Everybody was on a card. And uh, up against the wall, it was a uh, Madame Guillotine variant. And we put variant, we're from Chicago, so we made it with gangsters. Yeah. We thought all the gangsters we put in it were dead. One of them, <laughs> we found out. Yeah. Whoops. And uh, he was in his 70s and still alive and still living in Cicero uh, near Chicago. And that made us very nervous.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, we had employees start our van and cars for a while. Um wow. And you look at that game to this day. <laughs> Those are the bad employees. How do you that's, <laughs> How do you pick the ones you could spare? That's that's, uh, that's that's the henchmen That's henchmen. the designers check warehouse. Out that The Warehouse guys, pull my car around please. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at that game, there's no designer credits. There's no names. Witness protection. Uh We're going to name anyone. So, I don't I don't write things about current people and current events um, in these books because it's a form of not becoming a target.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've already
2: been there because I used to work with Newt Gingrich a little on his books and it made the Clintons mad at me. And I don't want to go through that again.
1: Uh, last uh, question from online that we have is what inspirations did you, you know, as you, were you a voracious reader? Obviously you're a prolific writer. Were you a voracious reader when you were young? And, and what inspirations did you have from reading? What were your
2: Absolutely. From the beginning, uh, by the time I was eight years old, I was reading Tom Swift books in the front yard. Um, I found fantasy about 12 and and read everything I could get my hands on. I remember the ladies in the store saying, you know, that's a grown-up science fiction book. Are you sure you want to spend 35 cents on it? And I, yes, yes. That was big money then. And um, I would say if I had influences, they change every decade. As far as science fiction, I'd have to put Dave Drake way up there his post Vietnam stuff, his, his family slammers, and everything. Um, for characterization, Anne McCaffrey, who became a very—they're both become close friends—and I value great valued her and value David. And um, as far as actual fantasy, I—I I found Tolkien in college. It cost me a B instead of an A on my anthropology exam because it was in the anthropology. So I was that looking at some anthropology references, and another student there said, Have you tried this? That was Friday. The exam was Monday. I had finished all three books by Monday, but hadn't slept. I uh-huh. got C plus on a course I had aced, and I consider it worthwhile. <laughs> and uh, I went from there to pretty much. Buck up what I could, the uh, Conans and all of those and what was available in the uh, in the late 60s, which wasn't that much. And then as we got into the 80s and I got working with the publishers, I was a liaison to Berkeley mm-hmm. for Mayfair, This is how I ended up packaging several hundred science fiction books full time later. And um, as, I, as I got there, that meant I had to go into Berkeley about once a month. Which meant that I could hit their free bookshelf for their leftover sample books every month. So I, I read everything I could get my hands on in the fantasy, and I would say probably Roger Zelazny had a very large effect on me, especially Lord of Light and uh, Shadow Jack, and some of those for character. and you know, His character development was so brilliant, and that that really. And in fact, I was thrilled when I could do the Castle Amber guide later with him and um going from there you you're talking suddenly I'm among gamers i remember um, i had an i was i was angry at a writer named ray feist who i'd never met and then we got on a panel together, and I was going to really eviscerate him over this thing I was angry about. Until I looked over and I went, "Oh my God, that's Rafe Kimi. I've known him for years. Oh, He's a nice oh. guy." Totally <laughs> so dissolved my anger. You know, they're blue, and 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 I, uh, of course, now we've got Mike Stackpole, who had a large part in Tunnels and Trolls when he was a teenager still, and things like that. Oh. Loved Tunnels and Trolls. Introduced it to a bunch of actuaries in Wausau, Wisconsin, and they sucked it up. Brilliant men learned how to laugh, and um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of the writing. And so then I got into a lot of the books that came from our generation of the gamers' writing.
1: Awesome! So that that's it from the chat line, Dan. What what you got?
0: No, no, nothing more. So yeah, uh, no, this has been uh, this has been very uh, very informative. Uh, it's great to hear all these stories from uh, back in the day. Um, it sounds like there's a lot more that, uh, uh, we didn't get to, but, uh, thank you for sharing, uh, your experiences, late seventies, early eighties, which of course is, you know, primarily what, uh, we focus on here. So, uh, as I mentioned, big fan of, uh, of your work with Beastmaker Mountain and, uh, Orla's Invention. So it's been a pleasure.
2: Well, thank you very much. And I've enjoyed being on and, uh, it's good looking back. I got to admit, I hardly could sleep last night remembering all the things I wanted to tell you, and then the ones that I shouldn't. <laughs> well, so so.
0: Well, we have ahead. we have time for the things that you shouldn't.
2: Right, we always right? have time I mean, for then. that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Things that have names other than mine in them are probably not a good idea uh, at this point in our history. Too many of those. Too many of them are old friends at this sure. point. Um I, I think. I, I, I assume people have talked about the the community feeling those first years when we were just a small, almost, when I look back, I realize we were almost evangelical. Right. We had this wonderful thing we wanted to share and wanted to be part of. And um, it changed the world. It sure did. And that's just kind of crazy. I mean... When I started in the 60s and 70s, I was a nerd, and my sister, my younger sister, of course, younger sisters are always so merciful, used to complain I never brought back anyone good. I, all my friends were nerds, too, and they were gamers and stuff. And so, she, you know, you're a waste. Bring home the jocks. And, and then it's gradually I've watched it because in the 50-plus, 50 50, 55 years, 60 years I've been watching this, I've gradually watched is what we do becomes more and more part of society. If you look at the best-selling movies, at the top books today, even books that don't have science fiction angles have a mysterious angle. Romantic fantasy is the top-selling form of fantasy. Yeah. Elves sell to, fan- to uh, romance writers. Roman- romantic fantasy. El- romance writers. We have... Changed a direction of the way culture thinks about the world. Absolutely, and it's it's amazing to think that uh, I watched it happen and had a little tiny corner of doing the nudge. Oh. It was kind of it's kind of humbling in some ways, and it makes you wonder how we got here and who did this last last century. Well,
1: and I think it's continued. I mean, it's fortunate it did that. You know, it's like my son, he plays fifth edition. And he plays with me first edition, but there has to be, you know, at some point there'll be a ninth and tenth edition, and, and the game will continue because it's carried over. It's, it has become multi-generational. So, and it's the efforts of folks like you, and and um, again, it, it's truly amazing, I would think, to be involved with something. You know, no one's sitting here looking at my what I wrote as a 25-year-old 40, you know, 30 years ago, and going, wow, we, this has so affected my life today. So that's uh, I would imagine that's humbling. Um, so again, thank you, Bill. If people wanted to reach out to you, how can they are you on social media or how can they reach out to you?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm kind of obscure in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> if they if they want to reach out to me, they can write, write me through my dra- billfawcett Bill at dragoncon.org. Okay. They can email me. If they have a question or something.
0: I think I had to track you down through your wife. Pardon? I think I had to track you down through your wife.
2: Yeah, you know, if, if it's a business offer and there's money involved, uh, Jody's on Facebook, Jody Lynn Nye, and uh, she can get a hold of me. She knows where to find me at any time, especially 24 hours a day lately. Um, <laughs> the fact that I'm still alive shows how merciful she is. Um so yeah, well I, I I don't ever feel like I, I I start I pushed it, but I do feel like I had a great ride being uh, part of the people who enjoyed being being around all of this amazing change with some, some some pretty amazing people. I gotta put Darwin there, Gary, Dave, uh don't tell Jim Ward I said it. Uh Tim with Dragon, uh Kim Mohan with no question. He's probably the most important, underappreciated person in the gaming from the beginning, um, and uh, except maybe by TSR, he's still there as our continuity person, um, out west, and and a lot of others that uh, have come and gone uh, from you know GDW and FAFSA. I've even talked about when FASA and I Mayfair shared an office in that old warehouse. That's how they started too. They 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 sub rented from us. The Junkie Warehouse on the South Side, part of it for FASA Games. That's how it all got started. That's awesome.
0: And, and awesome. you helped. Ha- and you helped. Did you help them get these World stuff? Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Bob Aspen and I were, were old old friends. He was in my wedding party, um, and we we were we were good buddies. In fact, I'm his executor, and. Um, Put him together with a whole bunch of gaming stuff, both ours and his. And if you if you look real carefully, have you like obscure things? Did, did you get our 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 obscure um, myth uh, Myth Adventures uh, module, two page four pager? No, you it. It's out there. There's a four page funny module uh, based on Myth Adventures that we did. For a, for a show. We only did 500 of them. Mm. Uh, sounds like
0: something's like going to cost me.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's the search for the aspirin tablet.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right, All right. So, so the search is on. I'll put it, yeah, on, the put list. it on the list. Uh, I'm, unless unless I'm, you have a copy. Right.
2: No, no, not for sale. I have a copy We left. do ask where people's but address it,
0: is. We, yes. You, is it still the same as the one in Dragon that's Magazine? That's
2: right, yeah. Not exactly, but if you if you're right there, I won't have to deal with it. Um, uh, when we go off the air, I can I can give you an address. Oh, we,
1: no problem. Well, we were we we're being a little facetious. We start, you know, we've uh, we've reached out to some people who like uh, wrote a module 40 years ago and and hadn't been in gaming, and we uh, uh, we we call them, and Dan has pursued them like a, a private investigator. We get them on. Um, and they mentioned, like, oh, I have all this old stuff in my attic. We're like, oh, really? You have stuff in your old attic? What's your address? And they didn't realize that they're setting themselves up for that. So we, we, uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, if you see us come by, don't be alarmed at all. We're just going to DragonCon, oh. we're not coming to see yeah. you. Yeah, if you find, actually, you're I'll fine
2: fine make for you. When I moved down here in December, I sent eight books of Roll Aids, boxes of Roll Aids and old Mayfair games to Games Plus Hobbies, and they're all on sale oh. there, including. Including about ten uh, uh, Beastmaker Mountains and a bunch of and Tower of Magics. Right. So, if you want want anything, talk to them. That sounds great. Well, Games Plus in uh, Mount Prospect, Illinois. You probably, you uh, probably just avoided all this situation. I more. I'll give you one more story of an adventure because it was one of my successes in life. Darwin called me into his office one day and said, "Bill, you know Robert Bledsoe, who uh, did game was Gamers Guild and all." Uh, they've been out of business for some years. I want to do City of the Invincible Overlord for Aids, don't you? Yeah, that'd be great. He's in Decatur last time anyone heard of him. Go find him. <laughs> and I got in my car, and I drove to Decatur, and I found some gamers, and then I found out bars he went to, and I finally ran him down after four days and bought City City State, rice the City State off of him. But if, if you want investigating... I knew nothing except he had lived in Decatur when that started. Uh, uh, and I, I just got in my car and said, I'll find him. I uh,
0: Yeah, the Internet's made things a little easier.
2: Yeah, that was in 85 so, or 86. So, yeah. It's
0: well, and let, let me tell you. So, for me, City State had been so overlord. I didn't know it at the time. I know it now. And it was really a revelation for me to see how they, they where there's was, somebody was treating D&D very differently from the way i treated it so you had you know people who were evil interacting much more with people who are good you had you know this idea yeah. it was guns a lot you had trolls that were operating a bar or so it, it was it's I had never experienced anything like that back in the day so it was very interesting to discover that when I got back into gaming
2: yeah judges Guild had a lot of freedom because they didn't have to match with D&D. They just had to be sort of related to it. And uh, they did very inexpensive print runs on cheap paper and stuff so they could afford to do it. And it gave them a lot more freedom. And some some of the stuff was amazingly innovative, and City State was one of it.
0: Yeah, and 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 right, uh, Janelle, JK stuff, uh, mm-hmm. still considered uh, to be uh, quite good. Uh, so, okay. yes, yeah.
2: Yes, son's putting out the original city state again. We we we've reverted the rights.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I've got yeah, I've got the old old map. I found it on you know on eBay or somewhere. You know that really big map. Um, oh yeah,
2: oh yeah. No, it was amazing. Uh, the, those those were the those were thrill moments when you found stuff like that. When it was something different and something exciting, and you go, you know, it was wow, and and. We still have it. We have it today, but now it's wow. Well, look at those graphics! Now, now, wow! We'll, well, look at what yeah. he imagined. Indeed. So, so, uh, so, um, so, Bill,
1: we have a tradition. I don't know if you have a D10 available, but we typically we allow our, we ask our guests to roll uh, a D10 to see how well the show is. One, it was a waste of collective everyone's time, and we should just shelter in place. Ten being amazing. So if you have a D10, if you want to roll that, that would be great. If you don't, we can we can uh,
2: roll it for you. Roll the die. Do I have a D10? My company did dice. Remember, That's true. diamond. D- I have I, one of the reasons Jody married me is one of the first things I gave her was four pounds of dice. That's right.
0: Wait, was that? Here's the roll.
2: Here is the roll. What is this seven? Seven is above average. That's good. that's good. That's very good. Yeah. Well, it <laughs> you know, lied. But
0: no, we love it. The quality of the conversation was clearly a ten.
2: Well, I doubt that. But
1: thank you for and, the and for our podcast. This works fine. It does, and that's typically you know we do. Really, the the online is for some of our dear friends who like to be part of the conversation. Uh, but we really started this as a podcast. So, well, Dan. Let's just,
2: the audio that's yeah, great
1: we, we i take this so when dan dan is done for the rest of the weekend uh you know his troubles are over yes. and now i get to go take all this mm-hmm. and i'll send you a wave file of the combined uh, uh audio of all of us i'll send that in the next few days so that's great thank
2: you very much uh, no problem at all and thank you for having me on gentlemen so bill bill thank oh. you so much thank your mascot. what's his name or her name
0: Okay, yeah. So this is a Grizzly. It's his name, and Grizzly. And see, Hello. we know the show. We know the show is over when Grizzly is uh, going to sleep.
2: So. ah. Well, I, I, another fan I put to sleep. What can I um, say? <laughs> yeah,
1: <Grizzly's laughs> That's over. our claim to fame. And we would love to have your significant other. I mean, this sounds uh, again. So we'll we'll keep in contact, and uh, you know, because I think we're going to be sheltering in place for a bit. So we would be love to have some great uh, things. If she's willing to come on, that would be wonderful.
2: Um, I don't think that should be a problem. Really? Okay. She's doing interviews all the time because of her 50 some books. So. Be, well, that'd be great. Now, now,
0: now, now she understands that we're going to be interested in the, just the typing of the monster manual and the okay. player's handbook and the DMG. Right. I
2: mean, I, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, you, she'll plug the books, but you'll find a way. Um, but actually, you're actually interested in a little more, too, because you know she wrote one of our first modules, but it wasn't D&D. She wrote oh. the Nick Velvet mystery. Oh, I okay. didn't realize that. We did, we did a series of mystery role-play game modules, and she wrote the one based on the Nick Velvet character, which was the first thing she ever wrote commercially.
1: Wow, interesting. You know, we didn't play a whole lot. I mean, for us, uh, I can't speak for Dan, because we didn't play together until recently. Uh, we it was l- much later, and by uh, we started branching out of D and D. You know, started with Top Secret and Star Frontiers. Then it was Paranoia, uh, and then we started looking at Call of Cthulhu and the, and and moving away from the TSR, you know, center of the universe. And then uh, we turned in our late teens and twenties, and then kind of fell apart because we we left gaming for thirty plus years, both of us. So we just started up again. Wow. Uh, a few years ago, and there's a lot of folks who did that. They, back. yeah, and that's that's what's interesting is a lot of folks didn't, uh, but there's a huge group of people who, they they put away childish things and they didn't realize what they did, and um, it's good to be back. So, Bill, thank you for your time today. It's been wonderful. I hope you stay safe uh, in Atlanta. Hopefully, uh, as we talked about yesterday, uh, Georgia is the Petri dish of America. So we hopefully it'll go well and uh, we appreciate your time.
2: Well, you all stay well, too, and thank you for having me okay. on. Okay, so, so, so
1: I'm you. James. I'm and Dan. And so this is uh, another exciting episode of Grog Talk, and we will see you next week with... Uh, who are we having on next week, Dan? Oh, Lou Pulsifer. That's right, we have Lou Pulsifer on. So uh, we'll, we will see you next week on Grog Talk. Take care. This has been a Bushy puppy production. All rights
2: reserved.